my Israel geography is here, but everything I did two weeks ago, not. What I had prepared this week, not. So what happened? I have no idea. So he, they does work in mysterious ways. So apparently I was not supposed to talk about this tonight. I was going to talk a little bit about the southern approaches to Jerusalem. And I was going to take you to 2 Chronicles 20. So tonight that is what we're going to do. That's going to be kind of a basic guide. If you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to look at some of that there. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see... I was going to kind of show you this route that Israel is being attacked when King Jehoshaphat is there reigning in Jerusalem. And we have all of these different countries, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Ammonites, they're all coming up against him in Jerusalem. I think in some ways... It is a picture of end times, of what's going on here. When all the nations are going to be gathered against her, it says wherever in Scripture, and it says all who try to move her. He says, I'm going to make Israel an immovable stone. I'm going to make Jerusalem an immovable stone. And whoever tries to move her will only injure themselves. In a sense, that's what's happening in Israel today. We have all these nations that are coming up against Israel, trying to move her to divide up her land. And I hear a lot of people saying, but we've got to be careful because remember, there are a lot of ungodly Jews there. Absolutely there are. There is no question about it. Absolutely demonic Jews. You've heard me talk about before, what is a Jew? A Jew is not one that is merely a Jew outwardly, but a Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly. A circumcision of the heart. And what we're going to see is that many of these Jews that live in there have genetic DNA Jew, but they're not Jews. Jesus said, you are a child of the devil. Okay, but... Let God be faithful... And every man a liar. You see, God is going to be faithful to his promises. This isn't about us. Remember when the Israelites were going into the promised land, God says, do not think that it is on account of your goodness, your ability, your uh, you know, um, strength that you are going in to take possession of their land. No, it is on account of their wickedness that I am allowing you to go into this land. Even Israel being brought into the promised land the first time had nothing to do with their being upright. Let me tell you something. You getting into heaven will have nothing to do with you being upright either. Likewise, because God is faithful to his promises, I can tell you this. You don't go against Israel. I don't care who's there. You don't go against Israel. Yes, Israel can and will at times allow destruction and tragedy to come upon a country because they are not following him. But he doesn't do so without warning them first. Go read Amos. The whole book of Amos was, I've been calling out to you. I've been trying to get you to repent. And still, I brought famine. I brought plague. I brought drought. I brought insects to destroy your crops and still you will not turn to me he says therefore i'm going to bring an enemy upon you i mean you read the whole old testament we see promise after promise after promise of god saying listen if you're not going to repent i'm going to bring destruction but we also see that there are promises especially now that christ has come to redeem there are many promises in that Old Testament that have not been fulfilled, that are going to be fulfilled, and it seems like the handwriting is right there on the wall in front of us. The trumpet is blowing, and no one is hearing it. I really encourage you to go listen to this message of Jamie Walden's, The Coming Famine, or something similar to that. 
You look famine, you'll find it. It's just recent. He says people are going to do, they'll do anything for food. We don't understand famine in our, our world because we're, we live in a world of blessing. And one of the things in listening to his message that I thought of is, this is one reason why it's so important for us as Christians to be fasting. I think we need to be fasting because we need to understand that if we don't fast and we can't put our flesh into submission, if you can't do it now, you will sell your birthright for a bowl of porridge. And he kept going after example after example of famines throughout the land or what people did for food. Not only do we see Esau for just some red stew willing to sell his birthright, we also see in Egypt when the famine came, they sell all their property for food. They end up selling their children for food, their cattle for food. They even end up selling themselves for food. They gave up everything for food. So many examples. When we went through the book of Revelation, we talked about how Egypt is an example, a picture of end times. We see in Revelation the Song of Moses being talked about. We see the plagues patterning exactly the ten plagues of the Exodus. We've seen the Exodus be a whole pattern of our lives. That God, he, he brings the Passover lamb. He brings Jesus. He redeems us and then he leads us out of the land and takes you to Mount Sinai and says, because I freed you, because I have redeemed you, now thou shalt and thou shalt not. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. The cost of the cross was not free. It cost something. It cost the very blood of our Lord and Savior, our Creator. And if we truly are Christians, then we better be wondering, asking ourselves, what do you want of me, God? And how do we know? It's what Scripture says. And then, after he does that, by the way, he takes you across the Red Sea, which Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us is a baptism. They all went through the sea. They all went through a baptism, a change that took place. And then they wander out in the desert for 40 years, just like for us, we're wandering around in this desert of this world of the 40 years of our lifetime. And while we do, we have the bread that came down from heaven. We've got the water that comes from the rock, the living water of Jesus Christ, the manna, Jesus said, I am the manna. I am the bread that came down from heaven. During that 40 years, while they were eating that, they had communion with Christ, and that's what God has given us right now. You may think that we're in a desert, we're in a wilderness, we're in this time of, of I don't know, uh, trouble. But God is with you. What else should we need? But it wasn't long after they went out and there was famine again. And they said, we detest this wicked, this, this food. We hate it. And Jesus took that as a, a slap in his face, because it was, because he says, I am him. They were rejecting him. The blessings God gave them, it wasn't enough. How many times do we do that? And we slap God in the face because we say, God, yeah, but eh, I don't have this. I don't have that. And rather than being satisfied with what we have, we keep looking for more and more and more and more. And so God says, I'll send you quail. He gives them the blessing so much so that it made them sick. And I can't help but wonder and think that we have turned our blessings that God has given us in America into a curse and that the blessings have made us sick. And he goes through and he talks about what's going on in the world right now. Very likely, well, I, I, I'm going to promise you there will be a famine, not just of the hearing of the word of God, but a famine of food. 
I can promise you that. Now, I don't know when. Could be 10 years, it could be 20, it could be one. All I know is God says that there's a time coming when there will be the black horse of Revelation. A few months back, a few years back, I talked about the white horse and the possibility of COVID being connected to that. I still stand by that. I think for years I thought that these things would be very quick in succession. That Oh, white horse, red horse in the next month or two. I kind of think it could be spread out a lot more than that. The next horse was red, war. I truly believe, I hesitate saying this with small ears in here, but I think they need to hear it too, I guess. I truly believe that we are on the brink of that. And we need to have a healthy fear of God. Now, you young kids that are hearing this, I want you to know something, that even if that happens, there is still a God that's on his throne, and it's okay. And we're going to see that here coming up. But for now, I want you to understand that, that you don't need to fear when the world falls apart around you. It is a very American thing for us to think that first of all, we deserve to have a life without trials and tribulations. We don't. We don't deserve it at all. And it's also a very American thing that says, we've got, we're the power. We're a world power. Nobody can touch us. That's what Israel thought on October 6th. October 7th, in one hour, things change. There are over 10 million immigrants that have come into this country just under this last administration, most of which we, have no, we know nothing about. Just in the last month, over, I think it was 160,000 immigrants have come into this country. And of those, it was probably over 10%, I'm making up that statistic, I don't remember the numbers exactly, that are what are called special interest. What that means is they're on watch list. We don't trust them. And we keep letting them in. Many of these are even known terrorists that 400, I think, were known terrorists. And we keep letting them into the country. Don't think that we are immune to what happened in Israel. Because you go to Minnesota or some of these states, there's, there's Islamic people. And Now, by the way, the very tenet of Islam, go look at my Islam, the Antichrist, or Islam and the Antichrist message, is all Jews and Christians must die for their Messiah to come must die. They hate you just as much as they hate the Jews. They might hate the Jew just a little bit more, but not much more. You're the infidel. And don't think that if some crisis comes to this country that you wouldn't have pockets popping up everywhere. Look at the, the, the pro-Palestinian marches going on all over. Now, as I've said before, I use that word Palestinian cautiously because there are Christian Palestinians that you need to be praying for and supporting. But that's not what these people are doing. These people are supporting an ideology of hate and murder in order for their Messiah to come back. I say all of this simply to scare you. No, you do not. <laughs> I say it to scare you, to, to, to make you realize, to take us off of this high horse of our pride and this power that we think we have in our country, this elitism, this idea that nobody can touch us because the Bible says there is a time coming when there is going to be a famine. As... The black horse follows the red horse. And I think 
that these things are going to get faster in you know, succession once they begin. That being the case, let's just assume it is going to happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe it won't happen during this war. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's a high probability of it. Iran has declared war. Iran is, is bombing American um, uh, bases. They're attacking us. So far, we haven't attacked back. I do believe that there is a high probability of a nuclear bomb going off somewhere. Maybe Damascus. Maybe over there somewhere that could trigger the events. I could speculate on all kinds of possibilities here, but I'm not going to do that tonight. All I know is that Isaiah 17 or 19 talks about Damascus needs to be destroyed. That's one thing that you need to be watching for. If Damascus gets destroyed, guys, we're, we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled right in front of you because that is the that has never been destroyed, ever, in all of history. And when it does, I hope you remember this message. I think we talked last, a couple of weeks ago, about Psalm 83, Ezekiel 30 and 30, 37, 38, the, the Gog and Magog, Russia being involved. All I know is there are so many pieces that play in that I could speculate all day long as what could happen. All I know is I'm seeing the Bible beginning to unfold in front of me. I just don't know how the players are going to move the chess pieces. And so all of this, as I said, is to scare you in the sense of not to bring worldly fear upon you, but to bring a righteous fear upon you, a fear of the Lord and a fear of, wow, what am I doing with my life? What am I, how am I preparing I've given you that proverb before. It says in Proverbs that, you know, the foolish man sees trouble and does nothing. But a righteous man takes refuge and is safe. How do we take refuge? We see trouble coming. We see it all around. There's no way that our country can continue doing what it's doing. No way this can happen. I promise you this country is going to be judged for all the, the millions of babies that we have sacrificed and murdered in abortion. I promise you, this country will suffer because we do not blush, but support and parade homosexuality. I promise you, this country is going to suffer because we have made our own strength our God. We don't trust in him. We trust in our 401k. We trust in our food storage. We trust in our ammo and our guns. We trust in our gold and our silver. And yet, oh, Isaiah maybe says, your gold and silver will not save you on the day of the Lord. I'm not going to save you. So what do you, how do you take refuge? when we see this trouble coming? Well, I think Second Chronicles 20 here is a great way to take refuge. Let's just read this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, some people came up and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. And so if you remember our map, I'm not going to put it up there tonight, but if you remember our map, if you had the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee up top, Jerusalem is over here on this side, but on the other side of the Dead Sea, you have the Moabites, the Edomites, all of these people. So these people are coming a long ways, and they're going to go a long way to try to go up against Jehoshaphat. And they're going to go up, uh, kind of one of the, the routes that I'll show you, maybe if I can find this other stuff later, um, along the, uh, from the Dead Sea up to Jerusalem. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is En Gedi. For those of you who went to Israel with me last time, you might remember En Gedi. I don't remember, that's where 
we announced that Noah and Sierra had baby Charlie. Juliana. Juliana. We're looking down. That was about halfway up. But they're going to take that very route where our bus was parked. There was an army marching up that road to get to Jerusalem. That's what Scripture's telling me right here. So for those of you who are there who can picture that, I had pictures. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. They're only 14 miles away now. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So what did he do? Here's troubles coming. So one of the first things he does is he proclaims a fast. In listening to Jamie Walden's message, that was one thing that I thought, you know what? We need to start doing a fast. I think we need to do a weekly fast. Now, we can. We have two choices. Yeah, I know we should. I just don't really want to. It's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I know we should. But, you know, I do have that party coming up on Monday, too, and so I'll start after that. We can do all kinds of excuses and complacency and justifications, which is what we as Americans have done most of our lives, probably, to make a justification to not do what is right. If we can't do it, if we can't fast for a day here and there for the Lord, what are you going to do when a real famine comes? I think you'll sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. The Israelites complained against God. I mean, there's time and time again where we see when the Babylonians came and they encircled Jerusalem, the mothers ate their own children. That's what Scripture says. I want you to understand, these are people who did not have Jesus Christ. They did not have the Lord in their hearts. These are people who had given up on the Lord. Again, I just want you to see, though, that there is going to be a stark contrast between a Christian and a non-Christian. And these people who are eating their children were non-Christians. But nonetheless, we see how awful that is. So they proclaim a fast for all Judah. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. We should have people coming all over. I've said this before, but I have asked the Lord so many times, why are you having me build a museum in broken bones? And then beyond that, why now? There is no way I would ever do this without the Lord's leading. This, from a worldly perspective, is the dumbest thing I have ever done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have done a lot of dumb things. You know, the answer I keep getting back in my spirit is this, is people are going to need to know the truth. Deb asked me tonight, so you think this is going to be able to sustain itself? I said, oh, no, not a chance. No way. Not a chance. I went into it knowing there was no chance this is going to be sustained, even take care of itself. But I have gone into it knowing that this is what God wants. We have been preparing by storing up, by going to government protests or, you know, making sure this leader gets into the government or that leader gets into the government or whatever. I'm telling you, none of that matters in the end. What matters and how we need to be preparing is we need to be fasting. You need to be getting in the Word of God because you know what? There are going to be people. They're going to come from every town to seek the truth. And there needs to be places that they know they can find the truth. Not these churches that are just going to coddle them. Not these churches that are going to be just like every other prophet in Israel and Jerusalem that said, oh no, listen, all of these captives that you know Babylon took the first time, 
within a year's time, they're going to be back. It's all going to be okay. And Jeremiah says, hey, let it be. But I don't think so. I heard the Lord tell me this. They had all of these prophets saying peace and safety. Peace and safety. Don't worry. Your life of blessing will not ever end. Your abundance, you won't lose that. Peace and safety. I'll tell you what, one of the things that struck me here this last week, I really think Israel is going to clean house, not because of their own strength, but because God is going to fight for Israel because he is faithful to his promises, not who they are. And when he does, I think my prediction is that they are going to clean out the borders on all sides. And you know what they're going to say? Finally, peace and safety. I don't know. All I know is that that's what I hear coming from so many. And I'm telling you, it is not peace and it is not safety that we are in right now. We need to be fasting and we need to take this serious. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, here's his prayer, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it. They have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. What a beautiful prayer. I don't know what it is about reminding God of his promises, but we see it over and over and over in scripture. Lord, you did this. You said this. God didn't forget, but God likes us to know his word well enough to be able to remind him of his promises. He doesn't need the reminding, but he likes it. Jamie Walden talks about sword, plague, famine, pestilence. These are the four markers that God has always used throughout all of time, all of scripture as a sign of judgment. It's what we see in the four horsemen of Revelation, the exact same things. So when we see sword and famine and plague coming upon us, you can know God's judgment is upon you. I think we're beginning to see that. Now, when I say God's judgment is upon you, I want to remind you again that there is a difference between those who follow God and those who do not follow God. It does not mean those who follow God are going to have it hunky-dory and, hey, you know, we're still going to have our you know, beautiful homes and all of the things that we've become accustomed to. It does not mean that. But we even see through Egypt, through Babylon, God took those who followed and held up to his word, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He protected them. He spared their lives. This is not... Also a promise that godly people won't die. He never promises that either. Godly people will die. Thank the Lord for that. I don't want to live here forever. If we die, for me to die is gain. It is Christ. We have to get it out of our head that you fear death. Moving on, I could go on there, but 
What a beautiful prayer. Okay, we're going to cry out to you in our distress. You will hear us and save us. One way or another, you will be saved, even if it is in death. You will be saved. But now, verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like we could read this out of the headlines right now. God, you gave us this land, and now there are these people from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. Remember, when, when they came in through the Exodus, God says, you cannot attack them. So they left them alone. And what does it say? So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, see how they are repaying us? For us not attacking them, come to drive us out of our possession. That's what they've come to do, to take uh, the, the possession you gave us as an inheritance. That's what they want. From the river to the sea. In case you don't know what that means, that's the border of Israel. They want to push Jerusalem, Israel, all of the Jews, from the river that you know marks their borders all the way into the Mediterranean Sea so that Israel is gone. That's what that means. Kill the Jews, maybe to paraphrase it. The exact same thing that's going on here in Jehoshaphat's time is the very thing that's going on right now. What I wanted to show you, I'm going to come to it in a minute. I'm getting weird. Verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Maybe it's appropriate the little ones are here tonight because notice they didn't leave their kids at home. They brought their kids because the kids needed to hear it too. I've told you before, I scared the crap out of my kids growing up. Every time we celebrate Hanukkah, we would talk about what that's a picture of. It is a clear picture of the Antichrist. It's a clear picture of what Revelation and Daniel say. And by the way, Hanukkah is in the Bible. It's in the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesied all of what is a celebration of Hanukkah. Daniel prophesied about all of that happening. So we study Daniel. I didn't really know I was scaring them as much as they said that I did, but... It turned out right. But I've mentioned it before. I would never take it back. And the reason being is because they learned to deal with fear. I didn't just leave them hanging with fear. I told them, but guys, this is what God's word says. He's promised you. He's promised to be with you. So, so don't focus on the bad. Focus on the promises that God has for you. He will be there for you. Even if you die, think about what you get. Why is it that you look at these Palestinians that, I don't know if you saw after all those awful things that took place in Israel, they come back, the children are celebrating. The children, they don't even seem to be scared to die. They're being trained to give their life for a false god. And we seem to train our kids, you know, our false uh, or our God is just going to, you know, make it hunky-dory and there's nothing ever to be afraid of. Well, you're right. There is nothing to be afraid of, but not because no bad things don't happen, but because God sees us through them. Here we train them not even to fear the Lord. Exactly. We don't even train them to fear the Lord, the very beginning of wisdom. So... All of them stand before the Lord. Verse 14, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. 
He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Now, by the way, when we're talking vast army, I want you to think about what's going on in Israel today. Because there are literally millions of people who are coming up against this little tiny land. Millions. This is not a fair fight. Yes, Israel has a lot of technology, and I, I think wrongly their, their trust is in a lot of that. It makes me wonder if God isn't going to take some of that away so that he gets the glory only. But well, I'm going to come back to that a little bit. He said in verse 15, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, <clears throat> this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Don't forget that. I don't care what you guys go through. The battle is never going to be yours. It's God's. Thank goodness for that. I don't want it to be upon me. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. This goes right up uh, that area by En Gedi. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. <coughs> Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I love the fact that he still made him go out to face them. God could have said, don't worry, I'll save you. Stay at home. Stay in your comfort. I got this. But he says, no, you go face them. You're going to have to stand up. Stand up in the face of danger in the face of death, but in the confidence of David. You uncircumcised Philistine. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. I'm trying to get better about this. <coughs> we often talk about Worship. We have worship before study. No, we don't. We praise Him. I'm not saying that we can't worship. Yeah. I'm not saying that we can't worship Him. Thank you. In that. But you go do a word study on worship. Every single time you see worship, it's down on their faces. Praise. This is praise. Go look at it. Worship, it's a humbling. It's a falling down before him, realizing we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. It's bowing down before our king, our creator, our savior, our strength, our hope, our joy. They fall down to their face and they worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites, and the Kohathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and he will be successful. Your strength is not in your ammo your guns, your storage of food, it's in your faith. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Now usually that's exactly how we fight our battles, right? You put the band in front. You want them gone first, right? <laughs> no. The singers went out in front. That's crazy. That's stupid from a worldly perspective. That's faith. 
God said, you're not going to have to fight this battle. Jehoshaphat says, all right, go ahead. We're not going to rely on our strength just in case God isn't going to hold up his end of the bargain. We're putting the singers out first, and we're going to go praise God. Guys, that's how you prepare when you see trouble coming. You fast. You trust God. And if God's word says it, you don't need to doubt it. You ought to be able to trust it enough that you can now go face danger without fear. The video I wanted to show you was about 100 Israelites today, Jews, around a tank. And there's a guy on top of the tank. And they start singing Psalm 118. I saw it, and so I texted Ron, and I asked Ron, I said, would you tell me exactly what they're saying in Hebrew? I want to know exactly. And if I can find what I'm looking for here. Please, God, save me. Please, God, let me be successful. Adonai, save us, please. And then they, hi, 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 hi. It was much better than that, but they began some Jewish chant. And it reminded me of this right here. And that's why I chose to speak on this chapter tonight, is I was going to show you the path. I was going to show you that they, they went ahead singing in front. Because that's what this reminded me of, that they were praising God before they went into battle. And there was joy on their faces. You might have seen the one that uh, there was two soldiers, and they're saying, yeah, we've got, we're standing underneath these avocado trees, and, you know, there's uh, rockets going over. And then they start singing out, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. He's got his guitar, and he's leading the Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. And, you know, happy Shabbat, everyone. And they're out in the field. They're, they're celebrating. I want to be able to go to war that way. I want to be able to go to war with such confidence in God that it is God, it is not my strength. Save me, please. Let me be successful. Let Adonai save me. Now, I'm not saying every Jew has that, you know, attitude. I showed that to my wife, and she's like, that just makes me sad because these people, they don't know God. I said, well, some of them don't, but some do. Like I said, Dove Wiseman, he's got two of his sons that are Messianic out fighting right now. Amir Safadi has children that have been called up that are Messianic that are fighting right now. Ron is... Flying F-15s, he's messianic. The only one in his family fighting right now. There are believers. And God is going to fight for them just as he would for you. Verse 21, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. They went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I love what they were even singing. It wasn't some song of hope. Please save us, Lord. They gave thanks to the Lord. Hasn't even, hasn't even happened. Right now, you are surrounded by a multitude so far outnumbered, there is no way you can win this. And you can say, thank you, Jesus. That's what they're, they're singing. Give thanks to the Lord. Thank Him. Among your trials and tribulations that are going on even today. Don't wait for the battle to break out so that you're not used to and practiced up on this stuff. Do it now. I just was speaking to somebody today about a negative attitude. And said, you know, 
So much of it is attitude. And we do. <laughs> you wondering who it was? I don't know. <laughs> no, I told my husband it was you. And he goes, no, he didn't call me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he said it right to my face. <laughs> they don't normally have a negative attitude. But as of late, I've seen it a lot. And I said, you need to start practicing giving thanks to God because you don't know what it is. Thank you, God, that I got a flat tire on the road. Thank you, God. I don't know what could have happened ahead of me. Thank you, God, that I broke my leg. Maybe I needed, needed this to slow down and have some time with you. Thank you, God, that you have allowed me to lose my job or that I'm facing losing my job, or I'm facing losing all kinds of money in my job, whatever the case might be. Thank you for whatever you're doing, Lord, because I know that in all things God works good to those who love me, who have been called according to his purpose. I know that's me. And I in confidence, thank you, God. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Now, your feelings, as we talked about a few weeks ago, your feelings may not align with that, but say it anyway. Praise Him and give thanks to Him. As it began to sing, verse 22, And praise the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They fought against themselves. Again, by the way, well, I'll come to that here in a minute. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. This is a picture of end times right here, folks. There are many of these examples. Hezekiah is going to have another one where they, uh, the Assyrians march up around Jerusalem. They all march up. They're outnumbered. They're surrounded. There's nothing they can do. What does Hezekiah do? They declare a fast. They go in. They lay the stuff out before the Lord and say, Help us, Lord. We trust you. God says, Don't worry. I got this. They wake up the next morning, 185,000 dead Assyrians outside. They march up against Jerusalem. God fights for them. Do we find that anywhere else in Scripture? Like Revelation, which is talked about in all kinds of other books from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, you march up against Jerusalem, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're just an idiot. Because you don't have to worry about the Jews, you have to worry about God. Verse 25, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. They found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berakah. Did we not sing that tonight when we were singing? I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. Where's Logan? No. Okay, I think we sang that tonight. And I thought, we hadn't talked, by the way. And that was in what I was going to talk about. This is the valley of blessing. Sometimes we call it the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, there's different opinions as far as what this valley of Jehoshaphat is, where it is. We don't know. We know exactly the path that they took, but they kill everybody, and then they go to this valley of Barakah, this valley of blessing. And it's here, this valley of Jehoshaphat, that is also prophesied about so often in Old Testament in regards to end times. All the armies coming up against, and there will be a great slaughter in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, they praise the Lord there. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this very day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. 
The fear of God came on all surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. That's what we see going on here. And so asking you that question again, how do we fight this battle? How do we fight when we see trouble is coming? How do we take refuge? Number one, I'm going to ask you guys to start fasting. We could do it corporately. I thought I would like to start, I don't know why Monday came to my head, but I would like to start fasting on Mondays. If you can do it, do it. If you need to do it another day, do it another day. Don't think, oh, I missed it. Who cares? Do it on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whenever you want. But I think we need to start fasting. Number two, you need to be reminding yourselves of the promises of God and have confidence in that and start thanking him. Thank you, Lord, that you are with me. Thank you that I do not need to be afraid. Even if you're afraid, that's what you say. Thank you, Lord, that this battle is not mine. Lord, you have told me, you have given me these promises. And so I know that they will be true. I think you also need to be praising him. To send out the singers ahead of the battle. Don't wait till the battle comes. Start praising him now. And I forgot to ask Logan this ahead of time, but it was kind of funny when I could not find my message tonight. It's gone. I was going to try and work on that. See if I could still find it while we sang. And I thought, no. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to praise God. I think that's what we need to do. We need to praise Him. And then watch Him work. And so, Logan, you in there? <laughs> Come to the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I want to do, if he's able to do it here tonight, is close out with a song. Can you play us a song to close us out tonight? Okay. Um, I don't know if you want to do the second song we sang or something different. But I'm going to close with a little verse while he gets ready here as well. So we'll have a minute yet, but I want to get to this psalm. You want to go back to it? I, I can get it here, yeah. There we go. Is that what it was? Okay. Thanks. I want to read from you Psalm 37. I get it pulled up here. Remember these promises when you get scared because as I said, there is going to be trouble coming. I can almost guarantee it. And if I'm wrong, I can still guarantee you there's problems coming in your life. Maybe it's not what I think could happen here with what's going on in Israel. It could be a car accident from one of your children could be the death of a loved one. It could be a health issue. It could be anything. This is what God's Word says in Psalm 37, verse 35 and following. Well, actually, I'm going to back up here one second. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, 
But the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. And their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Those are the promises that you can take to the bank. And so, though there is a famine coming upon the land, a famine of the word of God, that's for the unrighteous. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. We have other promises. The promises that in the end times, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will have visions, that he is going to pour out his spirit upon those who know him. Though there be a famine, it says you will not go hungry. I don't think he's just talking about wonder bread there. I think he's talking about you will always have me. And as long as you have Jesus, you will not go hungry in spirit. You will be able to withstand the trial, the disaster, the famine, the whatever it is. So, with that, we're going to close in song tonight.
Amen. Yeah.